Welcome to a special Easter edition of the Untold Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan James Norman. This is a bonus episode supplementing the speculative goodness we bring to you month after month. Like our last bonus episode, this is the audio from a first-person sermon I preached recently at the Orchard Church in Traverse City, Michigan. These are effective sermons because I tell the story from the perspective of one of the characters as if I was that character. They're wonderfully engaging. I don't get in a costume to preach these sermons, because let's face it, I don't have the budget for it. But I try to wear the sort of contemporary clothes I'd imagine the characters would wear if they lived in our time. This particular sermon forced a conundrum on me. I I love wearing suits, and will wear one whenever I get the chance, but I could never imagine my character wearing a suit, even for Easter. So, for this Easter Sunday, I put on a pair of jeans, sandals, and a white linen shirt. And for you traditionalists out there, I chose white because it is the liturgical color of Easter. So in addition to our character today, who would never be caught dead in a suit, what other Bible characters do you think would never wear a suit? Send in your answers to nathan at untoldpodcast.com and your answers might be read during the next episode. There's no narration after this one, so be sure to come back in a couple weeks for our next story. Today's story comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 21. So without further ado, The Failed Disciple by Nathan James Norman. Good morning. Thank you for allowing me to come here. My name is Peter. I am a fisherman, born to a fisherman who was born to a fisherman before him. One day, uh, I was out on my boat with, with my brother Andrew, and we were on near the shore of Galilee, and a man came to us, and he spoke to us. And this man, his name was Jesus. And we had already heard that this man quite possibly could be the Messiah, the King of the Jews, the one who would come and save us and usher in the kingdom of God. And he spoke to us while we stood on the boat, and him, him on the shore, and he said to us two words, two words. He said, follow me. Follow me. Follow the Messiah. The two most important words ever spoken to me in my entire life, follow me. And as I stood there on the boat next to my brother Andrew, we met met gazes with each other. and We looked at each other and we didn't say anything. But I could tell what Andrew was thinking. And he was saying to me, don't mess this up. Because I'm a man of passions. I say whatever comes to my mind. I don't, there's no filter. I just say it. And, and, and I've said a number of things that I shouldn't have said, but I've said them because they were on my mind. And so as I looked at Andrew, and he's just saying, don't mess this up. And I didn't want to mess it up. I shut my mouth, and I got out of the boat, and I followed Jesus. This was my one opportunity to follow the Messiah, the King, and I didn't want to mess it up. For three years... I followed Jesus. For three years, I was his disciple. I saw him work miracles. I saw him work power. I saw his compassion to other people. 
I saw him cast out demons. I saw him heal the sick. I saw him raise a man back to life. He was dead. He brought him back to life. It was amazing. He had 12 close disciples. I was one of them. So was my brother. My father, John. My father's name was John. Actually, there was another disciple named John. Uh, John, the disciple. And um, he was like a little brother. The little brother I never wanted. He ju- oh, we just had so, we, we just competed so much. But I'm sidetracking myself. My, my father, John, gave me the name Simon. But when I followed Jesus, he gave me a new name. He called me Peter. The Rock. It was a good name. It was a strong name. And I answered to that name and that name only as I followed Jesus in ministry for three years. But then the unthinkable happened. Jesus was betrayed by one of his own, by one of us, by Judas. And before Judas betrayed Jesus, Jesus told me that I would betray him in my own way. He told me that I would deny him three times. But I would never pretend like I didn't know that man. He was the Messiah. He was going to bring the kingdom of God to earth. I would never pretend I didn't know him. I told him I would die for him. And if it even came to it, I would die with him. This was my one opportunity. I didn't want to mess it up. Jesus was arrested. And we ran. We all ran. I ran. But I followed closely behind him. I followed him to the place where he was being questioned. Maybe God would still do a miracle. God couldn't let his Messiah be crucified, could he? He couldn't let him die. It was early spring, and I was in the courtyard outside of the building where Jesus was being questioned. I couldn't see him. I didn't know what was going on. But it was cold that night. It was so cold, some of the servants had made a charcoal fire to keep warm by. And so I stood next to the charcoal fire, and a servant girl, a slave, came up to me and she asked, were you one of his disciples, this Jesus that they're questioning right now? And I said, no. And then some of the other servants started asking me. And one of the servants, one of the slaves said to me, I saw you when we arrested him. You were there with him. You're one of his disciples. And I said again and again, no. And I don't know why I did. These weren't people of influence. Most of them were slaves. Most of them were servants. They couldn't have done anything against me if, I, if they wanted to. I messed up. I didn't just mess up, I failed. Jesus was tried and found guilty of being the king of the Jews. They took him away to crucify him. And we were all terrified. We hid. We found a house in Jerusalem and we hid and we locked the doors. Jesus had failed. There would be no kingdom of God. There was no Messiah. He failed. 
We failed. I failed. None of his male disciples were at his crucifixion except for John. And John came back and he told us how Jesus died and the things that he said. And we were all pretty sure he was coming, the, the authorities were coming for us next. All of our hopes and dreams died with Jesus on that cross. But a few days later, Sunday morning, some of Jesus' women disciples came to us where we were hiding. And they told us that they had been to his tomb and that it was empty. And I saw the empty tomb with my own eyes. And Jesus appeared to us behind locked doors twice. He showed us the, the, the nail marks in his hands and the spear mark in his side. He was alive. He was raised from the dead. He was resurrected. Jesus was the Messiah. He was the Son of God. He was the King of Kings. Not even death could hold him. I was excited. I was ecstatic. I was beyond myself. I was saying all sorts of things that I couldn't control just because that's how I am. But then a long time passed and we didn't see Jesus or hear from him. Days passed. And eventually, seven of us, myself, Thomas, Nathaniel, James, John, and a couple of the other disciples, we went back home to Capernaum, to Galilee. I don't know why the seven of us stayed together, but we did. And I can remember, I can remember sitting during dusk one evening on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, my boat right in front of us, the same boat Jesus had called me from. And I was depressed, and I was filled with shame and filled with guilt. I had failed Jesus. None of us knew where Jesus had gone. But I was pretty sure Jesus had gone to go find other disciples, to find better men who wouldn't betray him or deny him, better men who would help him usher in the kingdom of God that we all so dearly look forward to. In my frustration, I, I grabbed my outer cloak because it was still early spring and cold, and I wrapped it around me, and I just said to the others as they sat there, I said, I'm going fishing. And then John stood up and said, we're coming with you. And the rest stood up as well. And I stopped on my way to the boat and I said, no, you're not. I want to be by myself. I want to be alone. I don't want any company. But John just walked right past me and got on the boat and looked back. And he said, with these old nets that you have, you have to have, have at least two people to fish. And um, it's going to be quicker if there's seven. And they're already on my boat, so what could I do? So we set out. And as the sun set in the sky, and as a chill went over the Sea of Galilee, we began to fish. For hours we fished. We would throw the nets in and bring them back, and they were empty. We would row to another spot, and we'd throw them in and bring them back, and they were empty. And I started going to some of my secret places where I knew we could always catch something, and we still, all night long, couldn't catch anything. And we had thrown the nets in and pulled them out so often, and we rode around that lake so much that I was boiling. I took my outer cloak off, and I was just, just so frustrated and, and so 
boiling hot. We caught nothing. Not one fish, not even a little one. We caught nothing. I wasn't just a failure as a disciple. I was a failure as a fisherman. I couldn't even go back to my old life. And then in the early morning, we were near the shoreline and we saw a stranger out on the beach and he yelled to us, Children, you haven't caught any fish, have you? (laughs) No. He's probably just looking for an early breakfast. And then the stranger shouted again, cast your nets onto the right side of the boat and you'll find some. I was about to shout something back at him. But just as I was about to say something, I hear boom on the other side of the boat. And the other disciples had thrown in the net. John, I'm sure, led him to do it. And I yelled at him, what are you doing? I didn't want to go fishing again. We've been fishing all night. We caught nothing. I was tired. I was exhausted. All I wanted to do was bring the boat in, dry the nets out, and go to sleep for the rest of the day. And so I went over to the net to go pull it right back out. And as I pulled on it, it wouldn't move. And I looked back at him and I yelled at him, help me. Obviously, it caught a snag. But with seven grown men, as we pulled the net out, it was brimming full of fish. And I'm struggling and my muscles were aching. We would never be able to get all that weight into the boat. John came up behind me and I'm, why aren't you helping? And he whispered to me and he said, it's the Lord. And I dropped the net. And I almost plunged right into those cold waters. But then I thought, I want to look as presentable as possible to to Jesus. So I, I put my outer cloak back on and then I dove in. As I swam through those cold waters, I was excited. I was overjoyed. I was also really scared. But I determined in my heart, I said, the second I get onto the shore, the second I see Jesus, I'm going to ask him. I'm going to ask him, where do we stand? Am I still one of your disciples? Or am I not? What's our relationship? I didn't know if I wanted to hear the answer, but I determined I was going to ask him. And after all, maybe he didn't know that I denied him. He wasn't there, right? When I got onto the shore, I was dripping wet. I guess looking presentable to Jesus probably wasn't going to happen. I was dripping wet, and I, I approached him, and he was sitting on some driftwood, and he was cooking some fish and some bread over a charcoal fire. Just like the charcoal fire that I stood around when I denied him, when I denied him three times to slaves. And Jesus looked up at me and our eyes met and there were no words exchanged. But as I looked into his eyes, I could tell. He knew. He knew. And then he looked away from me and back down to the fish and the bread. And he said, bring some of the fish you've just caught. 
didn't care about fish. I didn't even catch them. Jesus did. But as I looked up, I saw John and, and Thomas and the others bringing the boat in and hauling this massive net, so I obeyed. And I went over, and John, who was also a fisherman, was, was counting the fish, and he counted 153 fish. And I was amazed that with that much weight, the nets hadn't even broken. I can remember being amazed even though I was filled with sorrow. So then Jesus, the, the ever-wonderful Jewish host, called out to, to us, and he said, Come have breakfast with me. And so we went over and ate in silence. Do you know how awkward it is to eat in silence? Do you know how awkward, how difficult, how hard it is to eat in silence when your conscience weighs hard on your soul? When we were finished with our breakfast, we all sat around the fire. And Jesus looked to me. Jesus looked to me, the man he called Peter, and he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And I didn't know if he meant, do I love him more than the other disciples love him, or do I love him more than I love the other disciples? I didn't know what he meant, but it didn't matter, because I did. And I said, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. And Jesus looked to me and he said, feed my lambs. And I began to get excited because everything was okay, right? Everything was, was, was good. But then he asked me again. And with six of my fellow disciples sitting around that fire with me, Jesus looked back at me and he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Why was he using my old name again? He had given me the name Peter. Why was he calling me Simon? And I can remember sitting, sitting there realizing that this was probably Jesus making an object lesson to the other six. Don't mess up. Don't be a failure like Simon, like Peter. But even then, I said, Lord, you know that I love you. And he looked at me and he said, shepherd my sheep. And then he asked a third time. He said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And I stood to my feet and I said, Jesus, Lord, you know that I love you. You know everything. You know that I love you. He knew everything. He knew that I denied him. He knew that I denied him three times to slaves who had no power. He knew that I was a failure as a disciple, a failure as a fisherman. He knew that at my heart I was a coward. I'd messed up, more than messed up. I'd failed and I denied him three times and his kingdom. He knew everything. But still I said, I love you. And then Jesus stood up, but he kept his distance from me. And he said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, 
when you were young, you would get up, tie your belt around your waist, and go wherever you wanted to go. But when you grow old, you'll stretch out your arms, and someone else will tie you and take you to where you do not want to go. I was standing there with the realization, the cold realization, this is it. This is the penalty for failing Jesus, for failing God. Punishment, death, crucifixion, isolation. Barely remembered or regarded by God. But then, but then Jesus smiled. And he said something to me. He said two words. Two words. He said, follow me. Follow me. Follow me. Love people the way that I love them. Follow me. Serve people the way that I serve them. Follow me. Show them compassion. Follow me. Show them that God loves them and that God, God has given Jesus for, for the forgiveness of sins. Follow me. The two most important words I've ever heard in my entire life. Follow me. Live the way that I live. Die the way that I died. And one day, Oh, one glorious day you will be resurrected by me and like me. Follow me. I looked around and I looked behind me and I saw that the other disciples were standing up behind me. Nathaniel had his hand on my shoulder and I wondered how long it had been there. And as I looked around, I, I saw John. And then I said something really stupid. I said, Lord, what about him? I mean, if I was going to be crucified in my old age, and I was going to suffer and die and be tortured, that's fine, but what about John? What's going to happen to him? And Jesus smiled again, and... If I want him to, and Jesus said, if I want him to remain here until I come again, what is that to you? But then he got really serious and he said, but as for you, follow me. You and I have all failed Jesus. You might have failed him with your money. You might have failed him in your relationships with men or women. You might have failed him in your marriage. You might have failed him the way you raised your kids. You might have failed him with the lies that have come out of your lips. You might have failed him with the words that have come out of your mouth. You might have denied him in his name. We've all failed him. 
but he'll take you back. He'll take you back right now. You should return to Jesus when you've failed him because he will restore you just like he did me. You should return to Jesus when you've failed him because he will restore you. Don't waste weeks, months, years, decades of your life alienating yourself from God and God's people. I mean, he'll take you back right now. He'll take you back today. Right now. Even now. The same Jesus who has been resurrected is saying to you two words. The most two, two most important words you'll ever hear in your entire life. Even now, Jesus is saying to you, follow me. Follow me. There is no sin so great and so deep and so horrible that God's forgiveness in Christ Jesus is not greater and deeper and far better. God's forgiveness is greater than your sin. God's forgiveness is deeper than your sin. Jesus is saying to you right now, 